and it looks as though we're live on our custom streaming service. I say screaming, it's streaming service. And uh, if you're tuning in, welcome, and uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is VUX World, the podcast where we delve deep into the insights from all of the voice AI and conversational AI industry experts. Uh, we pick their brains about how they do what they do so that you can do what you do better. We are broadcasting live now from the isolation, inspiration, inflation, ideation, incubation station. And <laughs> I just need to turn my iPad down because I'm checking on comments and it's uh, it's broadcasting twice. I'm your host, Kane Sims, as always, and as always, I am joined by the slightly more handsome, probably more educated, and definitely more eloquent, Dustin Coates. <laughs> Dustin. I don't know about that, Kane, but it's, it's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to speaking with Patricia as well and, and to continue this live stream. It's been going pretty well. I think we've gotten most of the kinks out. I think we have. I think we have. And uh, yeah, we've done some some really interesting ones. The last one was good. This one is going to be absolutely epic. So we are joined by Dr. Patricia Scanlon, CEO of Soapbox Labs. Patricia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is kind of exciting to do this. New, new medium for, this is a new medium for me as well so this is good I like yeah it's uh, it's it's interesting we've been doing it for a little while we've done three I think in total and uh, it's been going so well it's been going pretty well it's, it's it's nice we can do a live broadcast we can interact with people uh, listening so we've got Jeff Ski Kinski who is joining from across the pond in the US of A so thank you Jeff welcome welcome uh, Patricia it's it's I don't know. Well, people who are interested in voice technology and who are interested in this industry, I think will be familiar with Soapbox Labs. Potentially, there's people listening right now who might not be. So for context, do you want to kind of just give a bit of an introduction about yourself and tell us a little bit about Soapbox Labs? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, as you said, there, again, I'm the founder and CEO of Soapbox Labs. Um, we are voice tech for kids. Uh, we have spent seven years now actually building a bespoke uh, proprietary speech recognition system for children's voices. Um, we license our technology to third parties who, bring, who build products and services and apps and toys for kids. And we help them voice enable those experiences to make them more engaging, more educational, um, and provide important feedback that you wouldn't otherwise get without voice recognition. Cool. And... We've had, so me and Dustin, I don't know how, how many podcasts have we done now, Dustin, do you know? Thousands. <laughs> Tens of thousands. <laughs> we've done quite a lot. Um, we've spoke to many different uh, people from across a whole load of different companies. Uh, some of the kind of big establishments, some startups, and not necessarily on the podcast, but just in general in, in the, this landscape. Sometimes it's not uncommon to find, how can I put this? a hammer in need of a nail or a hammer searching for a nail. So technology that is really cool and really good and, you know, really exciting, but doesn't necessarily solve a specified problem at this moment in time. But with Soapbox Labs, what I absolutely love, and I'll put the link in the show notes to the TED Talk that you gave last year or the year before, whenever it was. Um, but it's it's really the, the founding story is interesting and the need that you so essentially what i'm trying to say is that the company was founded out of the basis of an actual need and establishing a real issue that speech technology can solve um so do you want to tell us a little bit about that story and how you identified that issue what issue you solve and how you come across founding soapbox labs in the first place 
Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, so I am an engineer by training. So I have a, a degree in electronic engineering. Um, I spent a couple of years as a software engineer um, before I started a PhD in 2000 in doing speech recognition. So the PhD was doing audio and visual speech recognition, which meant um, augmenting noisy speech signals using lip reading, basically getting computers to lip read to augment um, noisy acoustic signals. Um, so I spent five years on a PhD and I spent time in Columbia University in New York, IBM research in New York. Um, and then when I finished my PhD, uh, I spent seven years working with Bell Labs, uh, which was Lucent Technologies when I started, then Alcatel Lucent and Nokia Bell Labs now. Um, so during that time, most of my career was spent on just working on speech recognition, different applications, different areas. But it wasn't until 2013 when I actually was watching my daughter, who was three at the time, learning to read. Um, uh, starting that really early stage of phonics, blending sounds and decoding them and recognizing different sounds. And, um, and it was through these kind of digital apps. So it was 2013 when, you know, it was the app boom, people are becoming app millionaires and stuff like this. And they were, there was a huge amount of innovation in that space of digital personalized learning paths, adaptive learning. And what I noticed was they were able to do fantastic products, whether it was maths or geography or science or whatever they were trying to teach. But when it came to reading or teaching English, let's say, um, or any language, um, what I noticed was they had no way of assessing whether what she was saying was correct or whether she was able to recall a word. So all they could do is play a sound or a word and then she'd have to pick from multi-choice which one it was, which is great. And I had like an element of learning to it, but without ever getting the child to think, recall and pronounce the sound, it wasn't able to assess how her progress was. So she'd made it through these you know, games and all these things, you know, levels and rewards and all this incentivization to get her to, to learn, but missing that piece. And to me, having spent my career in speech recognition, it was fairly obvious that it was missing a very essential component. And that is being able to do what a helpful adult is doing, which is Sit, you know, helping a child to read, you sit alongside them, you listen, correct, prompt, encourage, feedback to the kid, and they progress. And they progress very rapidly, actually. If you spend like 15 minutes a day with a child reading aloud and practicing, their, their literacy rates go up really, really high. Unfortunately, most kids don't get that time, um, you know, through busy lives or just they don't have the helpful adult or they're not in schools. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But um, for me, it was a case of there's a missing piece. Um, to this that's very obvious and the more I searched I was actually kind of amazed there wasn't a solution out there in 2013 um, but the more I dug into it um, and I'm a researcher you know by training um, it became very obvious that the problem was a lot bigger than I kind of first thought it wasn't just that nobody tried it's an extremely hard problem when you're dealing with kids voices as opposed to adults. And you mentioned that your your daughter, uh, rather than actually learning to read, she ended up just basically hacking the game to kind of yes. get a score out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, <laughs> she was progressing, and I was getting all these these emails and saying, "Oh, your daughter has reached level three. Your daughter has reached level four. And I was like, "Wow, she's really, like, really smart." Um, and then when I quizzed her on it, she'd be like, mm. "Like," and when I was and when I started watching, I realised the multi choice was easy to game essentially. 
well, not easy, but she was kind of like, okay, I tried that one last time, and that one must be this one. And she'd go off like, so yeah, hacking the game was a talent that she acquired rather than learning to read at the, that stage. But but it was, but it just kind of really shone a light on the fact that um, there is a problem. People are trying to solve it through multi-choice, but that's not the solution. Like you know, and and, and that area will never progress without a, a voice text solution. And, and that was very much it. And also learning, like, because when you, you know, you're looking at a child, you see the problem, but you also see the hurdles, right? You see the fact that young kids are never on their own, right? They're never going to go in. A four-year-old, five-year-old is never going to sit quietly in a room on their own. They're always going to have parents talking in the background, siblings, TVs, or they're in classrooms, or they're always in, you know, not it doesn't have to be crazy noise, but real-world environments. And, you know, watching how they interact with technology is not how adults interact with technology either. It tends to be a bit more crazy or free or, you know, unpredictable if you want. So, um, you know, the other thing I saw as well out there was that anybody who was pertaining to do speech traction for kids was working off these really old systems, right? Like some of them was developed like 15 years ago in these quiet environments where they'd, they'd expect a headset mic on a child of very high quality USB headset mic. I mean, I don't know if you know any four or five year old who sit there with it, breaking it or touching it. Um, so when we looked at this problem, we went, if we're going to address this, we want it to work for young kids, their voices, their speech behaviors. Uh, we want it to work in real world environments, um, uncontrolled and without headset mics and all that. And we want it to work for education, right? So it's not just a, a, this off the shelf speech recognition solution either. Uh, so we set ourselves quite a few challenges uh, and that was seven years ago yeah i mean it's been a while and we'll we'll get it well maybe we'll get into what some of those uh challenges were because i know that there's there is some distinct differences in terms of the way that kids talk versus adults and how that might present complications on the speech recognition side and we'll kind of get around to, to perhaps talking about about the technology and stuff like that um but First, congratulations on the funding uh, that, that you've just raised recently. And uh, Jeff had actually commented here as well uh, in the in the LinkedIn chat uh, about that. Um, so yeah, congratulations on that. What is the the kind of like where are you at now in terms of Soapbox Labs? And then what is the kind of plan for the funding? What's the kind of like the the you know what are you going to do with it? What's the what's the next stage? What's your what's your vision kind of thing? Yeah, this is a scale. This is a scaling growth phase of the company now. Like, I mean, we we went pretty deep on the technology solution because we wanted a state of the art solution. So we continued to invest. Um, I've often likened companies like ours, like deep tech companies and software, to be more akin to biotech or med tech, where you need to have patient capital. You need to have patience. You can't rush products to market. I mean, anybody you know in the AI space will acknowledge that. These systems, you can release them quickly, but they'd be fairly mediocre, you know, solutions. We didn't want to be one of those. Right? We felt there was enough of that on the market. Uh, what we wanted to do was invest deeply in the tech, the proprietary tech, the data, the solutions, the targeting, the, the, the kids, the privacy, the architecture. There were so many components of this that we needed to get right um, and invest deeply in. And we've raised over 11 million in total dollars now in total um, to do this. And now it's time to put the foot in the accelerator and, and, and scale commercially. So this is the, this is kind of the commercial product phase of the company. So we'll always have an element of R&D in the company, quite a strong one. We'll always continue to innovate. Um, but, you know, it's definitely more about the scaling of the, the product, in the, particularly in the US and Asia. 
and and the potential of that is huge as well, isn't it? So if you think about the number of kids on the planet, <laughs> every single one of them presumably would like to learn to read or, or it will be on that journey kind of thing. I know that there is some parts of the world where, you know, unfortunately, it's probably not quite as easy as in other parts of the world. Um, but there is a huge, huge number of kids that are growing up learning to read and, you know, schools being really kind of under pressure, growing class sizes, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, the pressure on the education system. And so the opportunity for something like this is is huge. Do you, do you want to kind of like explain a little bit for, for people tuning in, what for, for the solutions that you have, what would be an example of a use case just to try and help people put it into context in terms of where this stuff exists and, and, and how it realizes itself in practice? Do you want to kind of give us a bit of a, yeah, an sure, overview sure. of what some of the solutions are? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, reading is a foundational skill in education, right? I mean, you spend a certain number of years of your your early education learning to read. And then once you've achieved reading fluency, you can read to learn. And it's really important to get that right up until about the age of eight. Some kids can be up to 10, depending on, on their own uh, levels and, and, and progress. Um so it's, it's a fundamental skill. Um, it's one of the, you know, often Kofi Annan called it a human right, like, you know, that we need to look after people's uh, education to read and then they can blossom from there. Um, and you want to fulfill somebody's full potential, get that right person, you build on it from there. So, you know, there's there's millions of kids who in the world who can't even read a simple sentence. Like it's really, and then people say, oh yeah, but in the OECD countries, we got to sort it. No, we don't. Like, you know, there's at least 10% of kids. And in some countries, a lot more than that, that by age eight aren't reading proficiently. And they're falling behind. The problem is once a kid falls, starts falling behind, it's extremely hard to catch up. So if you want equality and if you want to level the playing field, you get the reading skills up and then you can build from there. Um, what speech recognition can do, because a lot of times it's down to, as you said, um, you know, overcrowded classrooms, stretched budgets, teachers being asked to do too much. They know what they need to do. And that was the really interesting thing. The research is out there and everybody knows how to address reading. It's not like that's, that's something that, that, that we haven't figured out yet. We know um, there's huge amounts of research to back that up, that, you know, that regular practice every day, you know, there's certain, you start with phonics and then you blend and you decode. You, you, there's a certain stages, you you screen kids early, you intervene early when they're struggling, you catch them. There's loads of great, great research. But then you you give that to a teacher who's already stretched. What are they supposed to do with it? Like, no, they're not get, getting any new resource. And a new resource when it comes to reading has to be a person, you know, and that's expensive. That's a really expensive way to, to help teachers um, to do it. So speech recognition can help by listening. So let's say the child is engaged in a fun kind of animated reading game, like where they have to use their voice, they have to read the words, or maybe they have to blend sounds together to get words. And then, you know, it's like, a, it's part of the game or they read a sentence, or maybe they're reading just an interesting book, but they to get to the next page, they use their voice um, and enables, and it can feed back to them the problems they're having or it can give them a prompt or can correct them or they can see it and they can try again. There's so many things the voice technology behind a reading game and this, this applies equally to English language learning or any language learning that kids can get that immediate feedback and that's what we were striving to do. So when our goal is to have a service and what we've delivered is a service that um, let's say you're a third party developer, you have an app or a platform, a Chromebook or, or, or a laptop that kids um, are interacting, you can 
have the child read a word, sound, sentence, passage. The audio is sent to us and in near real time we respond with um, scores of how well they've said the word down to the phonetic level so we can actually be able to feed back to the teacher, the parent or the child and that's totally up to the, um, the ed tech developer or the education developer about how they how that feedback loop happens and what's presented to the child what's given to the teacher in a dashboard or what's fed back to the parent but it, it, it's that reinforced learning is closing the loop on progress flagging up to the teacher or the parent that the child's having issues in these areas when they sit down with them and when they do get that precious one-on-one time with them that is difficult to get that it's very productive you know, that they can hone in exactly. And what they can do is they catch kids who are falling behind because often what happens in the education system is we have these summative assessments that happen maybe once, twice a year, but you've lost months at that point if a kid has fallen behind. And teachers always say what they would love to spend more time is assessing each kid in the class, just to keep an eye on where they are, but they just aren't given the time to do it like or the, or the resources. So this is a tool that can, you know, level the playing field potentially, you know, catching all kids up, doesn't matter if you overcrowded classrooms or um, or whatever constraints is, is on that child. And often some kids are lucky enough to have a parent that can sit there and have time with them every day. You know, but a lot of us are busy, um, more so these days than any time. Um, and, you know, some kids, kids just don't have a helpful adult that can help them at home. And that's important too. Um, and all these, you know, all these areas where the, a parent doesn't have the native language. Um, you know, there's lots of scenarios where you can bring in some te- speech technology can be very objective. You know, I mean, it can actually not, there are biases against certain accents or interpretations and stuff if we build it right, which we have done. Um, so all those things can contribute to advancing a child's literacy, which is really important. Mm. And did you mention there that, that, you mentioned ed tech and that people can build with it. I, I kind of previously I thought that Soapbox Labs created the applications as well as the technology. But what you're saying is that you've got the technology oh, and then yeah, you enable yeah. that technology for other people to utilize and then build their yeah. own stuff. Well, yeah, we realized back way back in the beginning that it was going to take so many resources. Like our team are, you know, we've over a hundred years experience in speech recognition technology more in architectures and software. I mean, so we have a very specialized team, um, you know, world, you know, world renowned experts in this area, like, you know, a highly skilled team that um, come together and deliver the solution. And what we realized early was that, well, we were also going to develop content and, and pedagogy, you know, experts and all that, like we just wouldn't have the resources. So we decided to stick to what we were good at them and just stick to one thing and decide so let's pair it back because it's really expensive to do that right and it's very you know there's many companies out there that are doing amazing jobs of of the educational apps and products out there that and often a lot of them already have their sales channels into the school districts in the US or in the UK or you know all around the world are we really going to do that as well like so how about we just license our technology we deliver a world-class globally scalable um, cloud solution and now and, and offline as well now um, to be able to deliver these solutions to 
lots of different uh, tech providers. So that's some of them are working on that real emergent reader stage, whether it's phonics and blending and decoding. Others are doing it for fluency, whether it's like simple sentences or right up to eight, ten-year-olds when they're reading full passages and they need feedback on their fluency, or the parents and teachers do. Um, we can service them all if we just stick to you know the speech deck. Um, and, and, you know, we're now in the entertainment kind of toy space as well. Um, you couldn't do that if you're trying to go all the way to the, the end user. Um, so it's, it's served as well. It's, it's, you know, we've got three real strong verticals, which are literacy, uh, English language learning and toys, smart toys, basically. What was, what was your uh, reading kind of uh, situation like, Dustin? Can you remember, like, I can't really remember that far back for me. Like, <laughs> I, I, I do know that, I, that um, I didn't particularly enjoy it, I don't think. However, I was always kind of, you know, Nintendos and all this kind of stuff interested in, in gaming. So I think also there's, there's even an opportunity to get kids who wouldn't have previously kind of being interested in reading to read because you can apply it in a more kind of um you know a more relevant Game. way what, what was your way yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah what, what was your kind of uh can you remember your kind of learning to read journey dusted and, and all that kind of stuff i can remember a little bit i mean i was pretty lucky that i was grew up in a upper middle class household with uh with parents who really um you know, put a lot of emphasis on learning how to read so like you were mentioning patricia not everyone has that um yeah, true, and, true. And not everyone has, you know, uh, a mother at home. You may have now increasingly two two parents out of the household. So, yeah, it was a lot of hands-on uh, working with those, like, reader books uh, and getting that, that real-time feedback. I'm sure I don't remember all of it, but, yeah, certainly there was a person there, person there to help. Yeah, which is great, great. Do you know what's very interesting about this? I don't know if you guys uh, learned to read via phonics. You know those letter sounds where you, you know, cat is cut at. I didn't, I'm, I'm maybe too old or Ireland didn't <laughs> back then. But what I found fascinating when I started this was that actually compute, we teach kids how to read just as we teach computers how to do speech recognition. So in computers, we train phonemes, right? You know, you have 42 phonemes or 39, depending on which dialect you speak. Um, and you train a system, you know, and that was my, my training. If we train a system and then guess what? The, the system can now understand any word because we just give it a dictionary and we can combine different sounds together to get different words. So when my daughter was learning to read, I was looking at this going, oh, isn't that interesting? We're actually teaching kids, like we teach computers to do speech recognition. So it kind of made the whole problem even more interesting, you know, to, to realize it from that point of view. I think I, think I still read like that. <laughs> Sounding an age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so you were talking about your three verticals and it's not just literacy, it's entertainment, it's, it's uh, toys as well, but all focused around kids. You mentioned earlier, there's also some challenges around the speech recognition for kids. What is it beyond just the environment or, um, or, you know, that the fact that they're around people, what is about the way that kids speak that makes it more challenging for speech recognition? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, kids are physically very different to adults, right? So they have uh, shorter, thinner vocal tracts and smaller vocal folds. So what happens is then that the voice is physically, you know, if you were to look at it, you think about it, an adult male has kind of lower voice, an adult female tends to be overlapping, but higher. And then a child, you know, and the younger the child, 
it gets far further and further away from what an adult voice sounds like. It can just lead to you know very distinct differences in where sounds appear in the spectrum. Um, and what humans do is we kind of tune into that it's a kid's voice or you know just as, as we would with accents. Um, but when you have built a system and you've trained your acoustic models on adult data, um, it makes it harder to understand kids. And particularly the younger they get, the bigger and bigger these differences are. So what some people attempt to do is to take adult speech and kind of pitch change it, you know, or do some vocal tracks, uh, you know, VTLM as well and things like this. Uh, okay, we'll never perform as well as getting real uh, training a system on, on kids' audio. Um, equally, the child has very different speaking behaviors, right? So they elongate, they over-enunciate, they, you know, they over-punctuate, they kind of stop and think while they're talking and messes so badly <laughs> with a system that's been trained on adult speech and adult speech behaviors. And then language, you know, we as adults follow language rules more or less, right? Unless it's colloquial, uh, but with kids, um, even like a three-year-old, if you think about a six-year-old, eight-year-old, they all you know, are learning the language rules as they get older. So how they speak and how they construct sentences is very different. So if you are solely relying on everything you've learned from adults, you can understand how it's going to fall over repeatedly for kids and deliver a really poor experience um, for them. So when we were looking at this problem in the early days, uh, we had a couple of issues. I talked about the, the real world environments and headset mics and all these things, but we very much wanted to tackle the area of education first. I mean, like I said, we've using the same underlying technology. We've moved into the smart toys too, but that, that happened later. In the beginning, we were looking at, well, if you're going to take an off-the-shelf speech recognition system, first of all, it works for adults, you're going to have problems, right? Secondly, you're going to take a speech recognition system that's been designed to predict what you are saying and kind of guess and approximate based on what you sound like you said, but also about with your language model and all this NLP stuff that's doing a fantastic job when it comes to voice assistance and things like that. But if a child has been asked to say something on the page or read a sentence or a paragraph or identify objects or answer comprehension questions, that technology is basically, you know, square peg round hole. It'll work if you really jam it in there and, you know, but it's not a good fit and it will never perform as well as it should do. And it will never get to the point of being close to a human assessor. And that was really important as well. So that was kind of, you know, there was a couple of many challenges we, we, we had to address um, to tackle this problem, like you know, with kids and kids in education as well. Like. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll throw this, uh, if anyone has any questions for Patricia, uh, Sh Sh Shane has said, really interesting. I need to check out Video X a lot more. Yes, you do, Shane. You certainly do need to do <laughs> that. <good. laughs> yes, thank you, Patricia. You are, you are enlightening the brand here. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what is it that, um, over the course of, of, of doing this, I don't, you don't need to necessarily reveal the secret source as such, but you've identified an issue with general speech recognition systems, you know that there is a need to be filled and, and a gap that could be served with some proper technology that is specifically created for kids. You've identified the different ways in which kids speak and the differences in how the speech recognition systems can, can or cannot recognise uh, child voices, etc. What was the sort of journey like in terms of 
from nothing to now having a system that can do all of this stuff and you know how what did you need to did you get like a load of sampled kids data to train something or like what was the sort of like process like to kind of get it to yeah, it yeah I mean, you know, we talk about parts of this and obviously there's certain as you said there's certain parts we don't we, we can't talk about but um so I worked most of my career, you know, as I said, I did the PhD and I worked in IBM and, and Bell Labs. And a lot of my learnings during the years were of observing what happens when you build a solution with lab-like data. And lab-like data tends to be your perfect data, right? Your optimized data. And often what people do is, I'll figure it out for the lab-like data and then I'll make the modifications accordingly for real world. Um, and my learnings during my career before I started this was that you can't do that, right? I mean, they're like two different things. You, you could spend all your time figuring out lab-like data and the whole thing would fall apart and then you introduce real world data to it. Um, so our first challenge was to address the problem of children's data. Um, there's very little of it publicly available. It's, um, it tends to be data that was collected 15 years ago in quiet environments with headset mics, with uh, kids who are controlled. So there was an adult there controlling the data collection, like because they were trying to get through the problem. You know, let's get a hundred hours, let's get a couple of hours of kids' speech data. And, um, you know, when I was observing my own daughter, my, my, both my kids over the years, like um, I was saying, you can control them because the minute you stop controlling them, they'll behave differently. You know, you have to let this happen naturally. Like, and rather than if you think about how you would use a smart assistant, right? You, you, you think, oh, I need to get this information from Alexa or Siri. So you, you kind of straighten yourself up. You kind of gather your thoughts and you address it in the optimal way to get the optimal performance because you know sometimes it fails. Think about how a kid would do that. Like, you know, I've, 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 you know, my 10 year old will definitely, I've seen her try it. She'd go, okay, what do I need? My seven year old will just blurt out whatever the hell he wants and then just be constantly disappointed when it doesn't work. Like, you know, so we're, those systems are a long way off being able to na understand natural speech or kind of spontaneous speech if you want. Um, with kids, we had to address that. That was really important uh, because they're not going to conform, you know, just we had to work with what we were given as opposed to trying to control the subject. So what we encountered was that anybody out there, any data out there was all very controlled, very quiet. So we couldn't even start with what was publicly available, which is what people typically do first, right? Or, and then they'll artificially add noise or they'll try and change it. And so I, like, it's not natural, it's not real. You'll always have problems. You'll reach a ceiling and you'll never get any better than that. That's just the reality of the, of, of the problem. We've seen this repeatedly. Um, so addressing the problem for us meant real world speech, right? Uncontrolled real world speech. Um, but, you know, anybody who knows kids don't work with kids and animals, like for good reason, because they're really hard <laughs> to, to get any form of compliance. Um, you know, they don't care. They can they get bored so quickly. Um, you know, so look, a lot of what we did was to try and work with that. And it's been many years figuring out how to address that because, you know, we've often encountered people saying, oh, but I've like, a million samples of all this is, yeah, you know, of kids speaking. You go, yeah, but it's a million samples of kids saying the same things over and over again. You know, not interesting. Um, not interesting to build a robust system. So, you know, to be thoughtful about many different um, aspects of the problem is a lot of where our IP lies. Um, it's, it's understanding at a very deep level. So everybody in the company, uh, we've 22 people in the company now, and, you know, everybody's gone on a journey together to figure this out. Um, um, you know, you know, they are probably one of the few child speech recognition experts in the world now, like, you know, because I don't think any company has spent as much time as us 
very thoughtfully thinking about the problem from the data to the acoustic models, to the language, to the behaviors, to the use cases and the, the applications. And it's been seven years of, of, of being very thoughtful on that. So it's now delivered a very robust solution to the problem. Really. Yeah, that is, that, that's, it's true that when it's, um, it's interesting how you, how you can kind of gather that kind of data because you're starting from absolutely nothing. And then it's probably one of the most sensitive areas kind of to, you know, you mentioned don't work with kids and animals. Yes, that's because, you know, kids can be unpredictable and do crazy stuff. So can animals, but also there's so much privacy concerns involved in doing anything with kids. And so I'm, I'm assuming this probably isn't the first time you've been asked this kind of question, but what, what are the privacy kind of concerns that people have and how do you kind of work around addressing that? Yeah, so from the very beginning, right, so in 2013, I reached out to Privo, P-R-I-V-O, they're a safe harbor in the US and they now do work in, in Europe as well, to engage with them to help me figure out how we could be compliant. And at the time there was COPPA in the US, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, um, and they had already introduced the concept of audio and video had to be compliant, you have to get consent and things like that. Um, while GDPR was like years off at that point. Um, so we figured out uh, our, our obligations around this, uh, how we did, could do this right now. It was not cheaper and it was not quicker to do this. It was actually quite a laborious, expensive process to figure that out. But we were, and at that time, it was 2013, right? It was the wild west of data collection. I mean, people were sucking up data and nobody really understood what the hell was happening, like, you know, why it was happening. And, you know, number one, I understood the value of data from my time in Bell Labs and IBM. Um, but two, I was a parent. Um, so I understood how I would feel about, you know, data and, and, and the privacy constraints around that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard to be a small company and, and you know, try and compete you know, with the big giants and everybody, the tech giants and stuff who are, who are doing this. Um, but we reckoned if we stayed on the right side of this, uh, we would be in a better position down the line to be able to stand over what we do. So we don't have um, any competing business models. So we don't make money off product placement or search ads or anything like that. We only Our only revenue source would be from uh, our speech technology. Um, and in that way, we can be transparent in how our data is used, that we won't use it to, um, that the audio data won't be searched, won't be targeted, the information won't be taken to target kids or used in any other way other than to speech, improve the speech services, which is really important. So we're probably one of the few independent speech recognition companies in the world now. Um, and we get a lot of uh, people coming to us. Number one we get, thing we get is that people say, I've tried everything else. I've tried insert big tech name in their, you know, speech to text API. Um, it doesn't work for kids. It's not accurate enough. So, you know, um, two, we get people coming to us saying, um, we don't want to have the association where it isn't clear what's happening to the kids' audio data. So, um, what happens often is people, it, you may give consent, but people are unaware of what happens. It's not hugely transparent you know, how that data is used. And as you say, it's, when you come to children, it's extremely sensitive. Um, and a lot of brands don't want to be, you know, have the negative association down the line, you know, today or later if any scandals come out about um, 
what happened with the data. So you know, we've been advocating a lot. We we did a submission uh, to the UN along with um, you know an anthropologist, uh, Dr. Veronica Brassi, on um, digital rights of children, and kind of you know put in our our, our a call out to the industry for more transparency when it comes to kids' data. Uh, because I think you can do it. I don't think there's any great loss. We can still progress as an industry, a voice tech industry, while being transparent. You know, people are people are fine with it. People are smart. They'll they'll read privacy policies, make them simple, make them transparent. And and you know, if everybody takes a, a line road, you're not going to lose the confidence of parents. It's really important for us in the industry to have trust. Um, Trust for accuracy, because people recognize now we're the most accurate speech technology for children out there, but also trust for the privacy, that we're not trying to make money in any other way off the data. Um, and, and both those things are really important for us, for our brand and, and, and the brands of our clients as well. And so changing topics a little bit, obviously you're focused more on the speech recognition, the speech to text side of it, but you work with a lot of companies with uh, brands that are creating voice experiences for kids. And so I'm sure you picked up a lot along the way there as well. If someone yeah. wanted to build something that was targeted towards kids, targeted towards how they interact with voice, how would they go about doing that? And also, does it also depend on the age of the kid? Are you going to build something different for three to five year old than you will nine to 13 year old? Um, so the first part we build, uh, let's say in education, it's more about the developmental stage of the child, let's say in literacy, you know, so we've one product that deals with kids up to a certain stage of reading. Uh, so when you're doing your phonics, your words, your short phrases, there's actually a certain developmental stage. You use one product. It's an API. It's restful API. So it's very simple. Curl command to basically hit the API and get a near real-time response as to the um, very easy to integrate with design that way. Um, and then we have a different API point and if we work with uh, clients on if they have longer passages and more detail and stuff that they, their detailed feedback they're looking for. Um, on the education, similarly, we'd have um, a very simple, sorry, on the entertainment kind of for robots and toys and stuff, we have a, a very simple API endpoint as well. Um, your question before that was if we're if you're building an, <laughs> if you're building an experience for kids that you want to tailor for how they interact with things versus how adults do yeah what are the differences you're going to do there um so we just do the voice tech we actually do offer our some kind of you know we, we've a lot of expertise in the company in, in particular on voice ux um so about how best to you know do the voice interaction, how best to um, feedback, you know, we can help interpret, we can show best practices um, for children. It is difficult because you're talking about kids aren't as dexterous as adults and then they tend to get distracted easily. So how do you make sure when they're using their voice that it's, you know, it's the right they are engaged with the with the device as well. So we do work, we don't build the products, but we do have a lot of experience in it. So we do offer that as kind of consultancy. We are offering a 90 day free access to the API um, that users can, um, that developers can contact us um, now and uh, sign up very quickly and easily, get API access, get some help from the company, a bit of tech support and UX support as well, so they can get up and running very quickly. We do have one client that was up and running in 24, 48 hours, um, you know, integrated and had it out in the market. Like, so it's very simple in that way to integrate into the technology. There's no 
great customization need is particularly for the young kids. Um, depending if you have a very bespoke solution that you're looking for, we can talk to you about that. But generally speaking, we have very easy access to the technology. So most developers can hook it up and have it up and running very quickly. Cool. We'll put the links to, uh, obviously we'll put the links to, to, to the website and all that kind of stuff in the show notes and stuff. Um, but what, before we wrap up, if anyone does have any questions for Patricia, please do stick them in in the comments on LinkedIn. Anything to do with with the technology or the use cases, uh, drop it in there. Um, one of the things I was kind of curious about, you know, we're talking about helping helping developers and, and companies create applications for kids and things like that. What are some of the um, some of the kind of interesting or novel or kind of like some of your favorite sort of use cases that you've seen the technology be applied to. We've mentioned the helping people, uh, helping kids learn to read and stuff like that, but you've also hinted at entertainment and, and toys and stuff like that. So what's sort of some of the other sort of little bits of uh, examples uh, of how people have applied An interesting it? one was on screening um, that, you know, even before a child can read, there's a good bit of uh, research out there, some fantastic research that you can actually present a child with a number of different uh, pictures, right? And it's called rapid naming. So when they quickly go through the sequence, you can actually predict a likelihood to have um, uh, reading difficulties like dyslexia in the future before they ever start reading. So you can start intervening with a child four and five rather than waiting until they're eight or nine. Isn't that amazing? Like you know, for four or five years, that kid isn't going to suffer like confidence issues. And, you know, there's a lot that comes with something like dyslexia, especially when it's not diagnosed much later. Um, I love that one. That one's actually been an amazing one. And then on the toy space, simple engagements like with, you know, asking a child a favorite color and then the character, whether it's a digital toy um, or it's a physical toy, being able to recognize what the kid said and continue that conversation and recognize it accurately. That's been really, there's been a lot of attempts at this in the past. And what happens is it gets it wrong more often than it's right. And, and that's frustrating. Um, but watching a child's face when the animated or the cartoon or the fluffy toy recognizes what they say is kind of magic like and it just draws them straight in as a really engaging experience and if you think about it it doesn't have to be bells and whistles of technology it's just something really simple it could be no screen nothing other than a hidden mic like and, and have that very simple experience where a child it's kind of mad you know that, that kind of magical thing that you wouldn't get without that kind of voice experience built in Mm, that's that's good that it's um there's been lots of, I, I was doing a talk the other day uh about um voice technology and, and the history of voice technology and found the um i can't remember the dot was it judy was it called judy the the first was it judy i think it was Ju julie julie in america the, the the toy that was kind of like it was in 1987 or something like that, the first kind of like toy that can sort of speak or something um but thinking about kind of where it's come now and where toys have come now and how kind of interactive toys have become you know like my, my son has got like um all kinds of like little bears with lights on and you know they they, they most of them talk to him but none of them at the moment even though it's been kind of possible none of them listen <laughs> uh, yeah it doesn't point my son had that experience where he got this toy and his granddad had bought it for him and he was sitting in the back of the car and he just looks so disappointed and he's going like, he goes, it can't hear me. <laughs> and I went, oh yeah, because they're so used to the, you know, the Alexa, the series and all that in the home, hearing them. He doesn't understand what the new toy he just got, like, can't hear him, but could talk to me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
So where, where do you see this kind of going then? What does the future of this technology look like? You hinted at things earlier on in terms of scaling Soapbox Labs and stuff like that, but um, either within what Soapbox Labs are doing or broadly speaking in terms of speech technology for, for children, where do you see things heading in the next kind of like 12 months what, or 18 months or beyond? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, there's a couple of things we're looking at as uh, languages, obviously, like, you know, that's a, that's a key area, um, but also um, going offline. I don't just mean offline onto a device uh, that has a very expensive, uh, you know, embedded chip in there. I'm talking about like very cost effective, cheap chips. You're talking about on a couple of, on the order of a couple of dollars that can do long battery life, high processing um, at low cost. Now that opens up the whole um, smart toy industry and that's a, I think something like a six, nine billion dollar industry in five years. If you doing that and cutting the snips on the whole, needing to go to the cloud, uh, that changes everything, right? That changes privacy issues. It changes, um, you know, how much a battery is drained every time you, you Bluetooth to the, you know, to, or to the wireless or something like that in the home. You have a battery that lasts a hell of a lot longer. The cost of the toy doesn't go up or it's in some kind of manageable range that the toy industry is suddenly interested in this and haven't been interested up to now. Um, that's a game changer completely. Um, taking it further out past the year or two, um, you know, we're involved in a partnership now where we're talking about adding video. So now you're talking about, if you think about this video, it's like, mm, everybody's not so sure about video, but if it's all processed on device and no video is leaving it, it was just video processing to be able to get expressions or gestures or recognizing the face of the child when they, you know, when engages with the toy, um, then you open up all these amazing play experiences that don't have the privacy concerns, but have huge engagement. Um, that multimodal processing of audio visual information can open up something really, really interesting. Um, so that's kind of where we see the next couple of years playing out, particularly in the kids space as well as building on what we're already doing in education, um, and English language learning as well. Mm. Carlos says that uh, physical toys engaging kids in voice entertainment is such a profound experience. Sounds as though he's got some experience with it. I haven't had an experience. Yeah, great. Time yeah. to get in touch. Yeah, yeah exactly. Have you, have, you, <laughs> have you had any experience with an interactive talking and listening kind of toy? I can't say I bought many toys recently. <laughs> uh, so so no, no experience on my end, no. It's uh it's interesting, but I think yeah the 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 it's definitely kind of heading that way. I think, and it's interesting you mentioned the kind of you know processing on the edge and not needing the internet connection and things like that. It's like it's I know that when we spoke to Snips, uh, Dustin before they were kind of acquired and stuff like that. That was kind of what they were very heavily kind of focused on, um, and that's yeah that the the same was kind of true with them when we spoke to them, wasn't it? Is that they were saying that you know it kind of just does away with. It all privacy concerns because it's just it's just there and it's, it goes nowhere else it's fabulous you know and, and it's only actually in probably the last 12 months that you're beginning to see the price point become into a, a range that's going to unlock markets like the toy industry um you know that i think that's a, a huge one for the next two years anyway for sure hmm. Wicked. Well, Patricia, this has been absolutely immense. I think that what you're doing with, with Soapbox Labs is absolutely fantastic. I think that, as I mentioned at the very, very beginning, um, 
the fact that it's not a solution looking for a problem it's actually a genuine solution that solves a real problem you know you think about education all over the world schools as we mentioned schools are all under pressure you know I, I know a few people in my family who are teachers and stuff like that and they've over the years it's just been getting harder and harder and harder because classes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and this is a good example of where technology can be used effectively and engaging and yeah I think it's absolutely perfect yeah, the remote learning is, is massive right now like that's going to be the biggest thing for us in the next 12 months you know on top of it is helping to enable those remote learning tools that help them be more engaging than than, than what we're seeing at the moment for sure wicked well this has been absolutely fantastic thank you everyone for tuning in thank you patricia for joining us where can people who do want to if they want to take you up on that free 90 day offer if they want to kind of find out more about soapbox labs and investigate what's going on or user technology what's the best way for people to go and do that I think you can go to our website, um, soapboxlabs.com, or contact us at hello at soapboxlabs.com. Yep, we can help set you up. Thank you. Cool. Nice one. Thanks very much. And uh, Dustin, it'll be another one. Is it next week? Same time next week, I think. Perhaps. Maybe. It'll be coming at some point next week, I believe. So uh, from me and Dustin in the isolation, inspiration, amplification station, and uh, from Patricia of Soapbox Labs, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Until next time. See you later.